Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Chapter 20. It's hard to believe that we're already in chapter 20. And uh, I am excited to talk to you today about the millennial reign of Christ. And you've got to spell millennial to get into heaven. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't even have to pronounce millennium to get into heaven. I'll tell you what it means momentarily. You know, it's hard to believe. Now, this may not comfort you. In fact, for some of you, this may depress you. So, you've been forewarned. Christmas is just around the corner. And uh, I love Christmas music, don't you? I like jingle bells. I like silver bells. I like, I really like Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. And I really, really like, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. Now that's a good one right there, amen. Especially if you get to be Santa Claus. I like those Christmas songs, but I really love the Christian hymns at Christmas time. I think my favorite is O Holy Night. That's my favorite. I like Silent Night. I love O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. O Little Town of Bethlehem, I could go on. But there's one song that you'll hear sometimes at Christmas time, sung by a great singer. I remember the first time I ever heard Vince Gill sing. I couldn't believe any man could sing that high and that well, just incredible, great voice. But he sings a song at Christmas time called Let There Be Peace on Earth. Let me read it to you. These are the words. It was written by a man and a lady named, a lady named Jill Jackson and a man named Cy Miller. It goes like this. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin in me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be. With God as our Father, brothers all are we. Let me walk with my brother in perfect harmony. Let peace begin with me. Let this be the moment now. With every step I take, let this be my solemn vow to take each moment, live each moment in peace eternally. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin in me. Now, that's a really feel-good song. It's a nice song. But I just got to tell you, theologically, it's not exactly right. How many of you know that peace does not begin with you or me or any other human being? Does anybody know that peace doesn't begin with us? It doesn't. You say, Brother Steve, you just ruined my song. Not trying to. Peace begins only though with Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. The song also says, with God as our Father, brothers all are we. I, I just want to say this to you. Technically, that's not correct. Everybody is not a child of God. You say, I can't believe you said that. I'll say it again. Everybody is not a child of God. You're only a child of God when God is your Father, and God is not the Father of all people. He is the Creator of all people, but He's only the Father of those who know Him through salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ. You can't call God Father if you don't know His Son, Jesus, in salvation. So, God is not the Father of everybody, and we are all kin biologically, but we're not all kinfolk when it comes to spiritual. We're not. Some people are born again. Some people are a part of the kingdom of light. Some people are part of the kingdom of darkness. Some people are on their way to heaven. Some people are on their way to hell. And it's all dependent on what you do with Jesus Christ during this short time on earth. There's a reason, I think, that that little dash is between on your tombstone is right between your birth date and your death date because life is a dash. It goes by quickly. Very good symbol. I don't think they could have picked a better symbol for your life as that little dash. So, the day of true peace 
is what that song is singing about. One of these days, somehow, somewhere, there's going to be peace. That's the one redeeming point of the song. Most people realize we need peace. We don't need any more chaos. We don't need any more fighting and division that is so prevalent today in our society. But the day of true peace will never take place until Jesus returns and sets up for a thousand years his millennial reign on this earth. United Nations will never bring worldwide peace. The Peace Corps will never provide international or world peace. NATO will not bring world peace. Armies, kings, whoever, only Jesus will bring peace on this earth. And Revelation chapter 20 talks about the time where there's going to be 1,000 years, 10 centuries of peace on this earth. It's called Christ's millennial reign. Let's read the text, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 10. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Underline how many times the phrase a thousand years is repeated in this text. He threw them into the abyss, that is the bottomless pit, shut it, sealed it, over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released, that is the devil must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for, say it out loud with me, a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until, let's read it together, the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him, say it with me now, for a thousand years. One more time. Verse 7, when, say it with me, the thousand years, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came out on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. They're going to surround the beloved city. They're going to come around Jerusalem. This is not the battle of Armageddon. That took place in the last chapter, in chapter 19, verses 17 through 21. This is the last skirmish on the earth. It says, they came up the broad plain, surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city, that's Jerusalem. Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. There's really no battle there. And then verse 10, I want to say this to you. If there is a Satanist here, here's what's going to happen ultimately to the one you're following. And you shouldn't be following him. You should follow the one who rules over him, and that is Jesus. Here's what's going to happen to Satan. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast, that is, the Antichrist and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hell is not temporary, hell is not the cessation of the soul. Hell is not some place that you go in the teachings of purgatory to have your sins purged and then you get to go to heaven. Look at me. If you go to hell, you'll be there forever and you'll be suffering. You're going to be tormented. If you go to heaven, there's no suffering, there's no tormenting, there's no tears, there's no pain, nothing but joy. And you're going to one or two. There is no purgatory in the Bible. If you've been taught that, it is not in Scripture. You'll look for it in vain. 
it's just some sad teaching from some teaching in the past from some man. Never does God say anything about a purgatory, a halfway house that you can go and suffer a little while and then go to heaven. No, it is appointed for all of us to die except for those who are raptured out and then to stand before God in judgment. And then you go to heaven or hell based on what you've done with Jesus during this life. And while I'm here, I'll go ahead and explain something. When a Christian dies, we go to paradise. It is heaven. We see a picture of it when a man named Lazarus, not the one who was raised from the dead, but when a man named Lazarus, a beggar, went to paradise the minute he died. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me, what? In paradise. This is the place where Christians go. It is heaven, but it is not the ultimate heaven, even though it is heaven-like. And it's hard to explain, but you get to go the minute you die, you're absent from the body, present with the Lord. You're in heaven. You are in paradise with Jesus, all right, with, with your saints and all that. And then at the end of time, after the 1,000-year uh, reign of Christ, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem. And everybody that goes to paradise gets to go into the new Jerusalem. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, what happens when people go to hell? They go, first of all, to Hades. It's kind of like the county jail. And we see that also in Luke 16, when the rich man that wouldn't give anything to Lazarus, the beggar, died and went to hell, he went to Hades. That's the, the, the word for it, Hades. And he's suffering, he's in flames, he's longing for one drop of water on his tongue. It's literal hell, but it is not the lake of fire. It's kind of like if you get arrested, they'll take you to the county jail until your trial, and then after your trial, then you're sentenced to the penitentiary. The penitentiary is Gehenna, which is the lake of fire, okay? If you didn't understand all that, I don't know what to tell you. All right, great. That's what happens. Now, theologically, what, what does the word millennium mean? It is a compound hybrid word that is two words put together from Latin, and the first word is melee or melee, means 1,000. The last word is anum, and it means years. So a thousand years, millennium, a thousand years. Now, there are three prominent interpretations of Christ's millennial reign. These are hard to pronounce, but we'll see what they are. Number one, ah, millennialism. When you take a word many times and you put an A in front of it, like in Greek, when you take a, a Greek word and you put the alpha in front of it, you negate the word. Let's take the word theist. What is a theist? Somebody that believes in God. Put the alpha privative, put the alpha in front of it, and it means atheist. What is an atheist? Somebody that doesn't believe in God. So when you have millennialism, it is somebody that doesn't believe in a literal millennium. Okay? So that's what amillennialism is short and sweet. They don't believe that the 1,000 years of Christ reigning on this earth is literal, even though it's given. How many times did we read the word thousand years in this text? They believe that Christ will immediately bring the new Jerusalem when he comes down with his saints at the second coming. There's not going to be a thousand year intermission. They believe that the biblical references to the millennium are simply fulfilled in Christ ruling and reigning through his church and that the church is the kingdom. Thus, for amillennialists, the scriptures regarding Christ's millennial reign are understood figuratively and not literally. That doesn't make them liberal, by the way. There are some very conservative people that believe that. I don't believe that, but there are very conservative people that believe that. Now, this next one, Hardly anybody believes it anymore, but they used to. Post-millennialism says that there's going to be a golden age on this earth of gospel advancement, and people are going to get better, and more people are going to be saved before Christ's return. 
There's going to be this spiritual utopia and then Christ will come. The world's going to get better and better and better until Christ. Now, a lot of people believe this after the Civil War. Toward the end of the 1800s, people started believing in post-millennialism. There were so many new advancements. There were so many new things being invented. Factories were starting. The economy was booming. And it was just unbelievable until the second, end of the second decade of the 20th century, you had the First World War. And more people died in that war than any other war prior to that in the history of mankind worldwide. And then 10 years right after that, when you think about World War I, you think around 1918 right in there. That was the year, by the way, if I'm not mistaken, that Billy Graham was born. And 10 years later, almost 11, you have the Great Depression. The bottom falls out of the economy. Hardly anybody can get a job. Things are tough. My parents grew up during the Great Tribulation. How many of you have known somebody that grew up during the Great Tribulation? No, the Great Tribulation, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, that was destined to happen right there. The Great Depression. Anybody know anybody out there? Yeah. If you ever meet somebody that grew up in the Great Depression, it marked them. My dad, it marked him. He could not blow money. He couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it because he didn't have anything when he was growing up. And then there's this guy in the 1930s that starts killing Jews and ultimately he and the Nazis, Hitler and the Nazis would kill six million Jews, one and a half million of which were young children. And then there was World War II. Well, after that, post-millennialism was gone. Everybody said, you know what? It may have looked like it at the end of the 1800s, but this world is not getting better. Does, does anybody in this room think this world is getting better? Hello? McFly? Some of y'all don't bit more know what I said just now. Then there becomes premillennialism. There's going to be a literal 1,000-year reign after the return of Christ. And look, if you just look at the Bible, that's literally what happens. I mean, here's chapter 19, right? And we see there the second coming of Jesus. And then you turn the page and 20, here's the millennial reign. That's why people believe literally, that it's going to come right after Christ comes. For a thousand years, he's going to reign on this earth. That's what I believe. That's what Dr. Rogers believed. And again, that's the vantage point from which I want to share just a few things. First of all, in his millennial reign, Jesus will reign over his enemies. Revelation 19. Let's just go back and just read what we preached, what I preached from last week, just to get just a taste of it. And it really is about Jesus reigning over his enemies. I'm talking about the Antichrist. I'm talking about the people of the world that don't love the Lord, that have taken the mark of the beast. Look at what the Bible says there in Revelation 19, verse 11, following. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it is called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. That is not atoning blood. That's the blood of his enemies that he's battled in war. And his name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. That's us. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he will strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, that is with the sun directly behind him. And he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, come, assemble for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh 
of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war with him, against him, Jesus, who sat on the horse and against his army. And here's the, here's the battle of Armageddon in just a phrase, and the beast was seized. I love that. And with him, the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. Now, you remember what I said to you a while ago? Normally, when somebody dies and they don't know the Lord, they go, first of all, to Hades, but not these two. God says, you know what? I'm, I, there, there's no sense in you going to Hades, the county jail. I'm sending you straight to the penitentiary. They're the first ones that will ever go into the lake of fire, and that is the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. They're going to go straight to not Hades, but Gehenna, which is the lake of fire. We would call it hell. Then the Bible says, and the rest were killed with the sword, that is the other people, which came from the mouth of him, Jesus, who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. It shows you very plainly what Jesus will do. He will reign over his enemies. From his mouth, verse 15 again, comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Oh, he came in peace at the beginning, but I'm telling you, he's coming back to conquer his enemies. Revelation 12 verse 5 says, she, that is Israel, gave birth to a son and a male child, Jesus, who is to rule all the nations, here it is, with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Jesus Christ will be king of all kings, Lord of all lords. None of his enemies will be able to withstand his power. Paul said in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that at the coming of Jesus, everybody's going to see him, everybody's going to bow, everybody's going to confess. For this reason, God highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise the living God. When he comes back, everybody is going to bow. Atheists are going to bow. Now listen, if you wait until then to bow, you don't go to heaven. Lost people at that time will bow. You want to go to heaven? You've got to bow before he comes back. But atheists are going to bow. Muslims are going to bow. Hindus are going to bow. Buddhists are going to bow. Totalitarian rulers, every Roman Caesar, every Babylonian king, every Egyptian Pharaoh, Hitler, the Nazis, Stalin, USSR, Mao Zedong, Fidel Castro, all the totalitarian rulers, Idi Amin, all the socialist rulers, all the communist rulers, because all of that socialism and communism is all rooted, it was all founded by a man named Karl Marx, and he was an atheist. It was rooted in atheism. That's why I can't even believe that we would even consider having socialism in our nation. Abortionists, sexual immorality, immoral people, liars, drug addicts, thieves, rapists, everybody is going to bow when they see him. Nobody's going to force them to bow. They're going to know they messed up. And they're going to bow. They're going to see him. They're going to bow. And they're going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then they'll go to hell. Jesus will reign over his enemies. Secondly, in the millennial reign, Jesus will reign in Satan. Now, there's a typo in your outline. The word reign is not R-E-I-G-N there. And this one time, it's R-E-I-N. God, Jesus is going to reign in the devil. How many of you know what reign in somebody means? It means to pull him in. He's going to, he's going to arrest the devil, if you will, all right? How many of you, your, your daddy ever reined you in when you were a kid? Anybody? All right. I got reined in on a regular basis by Edgar, all right? No more comment on that. But I knew when it was raining, amen? <laughs> I'm telling you, all right. 
All right, Jesus will reign in Satan. Look at chapter 20 now, look at verses one through three. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the, the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss. He shut it, he sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Now, the unholy trinity is the devil, the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet. The beast, the antichrist, the false prophet already been thrown into hell. Now, here's what Jesus is going to do to the devil when he comes back. He's an unknown, unnamed angel, and he's going to arrest the devil. I want to say this to you. Don't mess with the angels of God. One little unknown, unnamed angel is going to grab the devil by the back of the neck and throw him into the bottomless pit, and he's going to shut the door, lock him in there for a thousand years. You know why? Because there's not going to be any demons, there's not going to be any devil on this earth during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Aren't you looking forward to living on the earth with no devil? Amen? No devil. So he's going to throw him in there and he's going to leave him there. And then the Bible says that he'll come out a little bit later to be released for a short time. Now, in verse 2, Satan is called a dragon. He's fierce. He's capable of devouring human enemies. Were it not for the power of Jesus Christ, no Christian could stand against this deadly dragon. Satan is a fallen archangel. But again, one good angel is going to throw him. And by the way, I, I would encourage you always to serve the Lord like the angels do. We don't even know his name. And you know what? I don't even think he cares. All he wants to do is the will of God. He's not here to do it so somebody can brag on him or, you know, pat him on the back. And if you do something for Jesus, do it for the glory of God. Act like an angel and don't worry about your name being put out there. He is the dragon. He's also the serpent of old. Remember in Genesis 2 when the serpent of old was tempting Eve and Adam and they gave in and they ate the forbidden fruit and sin came into the world, the curse came into the world. Suddenly there were not only plants to eat and all that. There are also weeds and thorns and thistles and all of that was a symbol of sin. And there's this darkness that comes over mankind and we have this inclination towards sin. We're born with it. Every time somebody conceives a child, that child has the seed of Adam in them, the Bible says. And Jesus Christ came back to be the second Adam to redeem them from the sins of the first Adam. Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless life when the first Adam did not but the devil, the serpent of old, he is the one that tempted them to eat from the forbidden fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he's also the devil and Satan, which means he accuses people when they sin. I want to tell you how perverted the devil is. Look at me. He will tempt you to do something that is against the word of God and the will of God. He will tempt you and he'll just, you know, he's very patient. He'll just keep on tempting you, keep on tempting you, keep on tempting you, keep on tempting you. And then you finally give in. And then what does he do? He accuses you before God. He tempts you, he tempts you, he tempts you, he tempts you. It may take a year, may take two years. You may never give in, but what if you do? Ah, then he's going to say, you call yourself a Christian? You call yourself a child of God. Look what you just did. You just told a lie. You just did this. You just did that. You had an immoral thought, whatever it might be. You stole something, whatever. You are not a Christian. And he goes to God and he says, look what your child did. The accuser of the brethren. He's perverted. He is perverted. He'll jab you. He'll jab you. He'll jab you. And then when you give in, he'll give you the knockout blow of condemnation. Only Jesus can protect you from this devil who is Satan. During the millennial reign, he's going to be bound and thrown in the abyss. Praise the living God. No more tempting on earth. No more chaos. No more shootings. No more crimes. No more violence. No more riots. The devil that starts all that stuff 
is going to be in the abyss. And the earth will finally dwell in peace. Jesus is going to reign in Satan. Number three, in his millennial reign, Jesus will co-reign. Now that's E-I-G-N with his saints. Now this to me is one of the most fascinating aspects of the book of Revelation. All the saints of Jesus are going to co-reign with our Savior. You may not be a big wig here, but I got news for you. You're going to be somebody in heaven. Amen. In the, in the millennial reign of Christ, you're going to reign with Christ if you know the Lord. This is something. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them. Who is they? I'll tell you in a moment. And judgment was given to them. Who's them? Who's going to judge? Who's going to sit on these thrones? We see the answer in the ensuing text. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Let me just summarize it, cut to the chase. All the redeemed of all the ages are going to co-reign with Jesus Christ and they're going to sit on thrones. You're going to sit on a throne during the great, I start to say the great tribulation again. I'm so sorry. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The millennial reign. I stayed in the great tribulation so long, I can't get out. Amen. The millennial reign of Christ. You're going to sit on the throne. You're going to co-judge people. You're going to be a co-ruler, a co-reigner with Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say to his disciples in Matthew 19? He said in verse 28, truly I say to you that you have been, who have followed me in the regeneration. Now the regeneration there is not talking about being born again. That is a good definition of being born again to be regenerated. But here in this context, Matthew 19, 28, the the regeneration with the, the definite article there, the, it's talking about the millennial reign of Christ. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, and I give you a lot more verses, just don't have time. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Verse 5 says, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. All the people that are lost are going to go to Hades during the millennial reign of Christ. And then they'll be resurrected. Verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. That is all of the saints going to reign with Jesus on earth during the thousand years of the millennial reign over these, the second death has no power. What is the second death? The lake of fire. Let me just tell you something you'll hear preachers say sometimes. Let me just tell you, they get it from, this is one of the texts they get it from. If you're not a Christian, you die twice. You die at physical death, and then you are thrown into eternal death the lake of fire, the second death, which lasts forever. And the thing about the second death is you don't really ever die. You live eternally in hell, in Hades, and then in Gehenna, the lake of fire. But the good thing about it is if you know the Lord, you only die once, and that is at physical death. But praise God, you'll never die after you die physically. You won't die spiritually. You'll live in eternal life. Blessed and holy is the one who takes part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Don't understand all of it. Don't know all about it. I just know that the word of God teaches it. We're going to co-reign with Jesus Christ. And then fourthly, in Christ's millennial reign, Jesus will reign over Satan. He won't reign him in. He's going to reign over him. He's going to kick him to the curb. He's going to send him to not only the abyss, but then to Gehenna, the lake of fire. Look at verses 7 through 10. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Now, this is something I really don't understand. It's hard to understand. Why would God let the devil have one more 
to quote a good word, fit. Why would he just let him throw a fit? Why is he going to let the devil do this? I don't know. All I know is he's going to send the Antichrist and the false prophet straight to the lake of fire, but he's going to allow the devil to one more time at the very end of the millennial reign to go to people, to rally whoever is just submitting to Jesus because they have to. And somehow he's going to get an army out of that. This is not the final battle of Armageddon. That was back in chapter 19. I told you that. This is Satan like a spoiled brat kicking and screaming as he's being punished by God. And before he goes out, he's going to take out as many as he can with him. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth, verse 9, surrounded the camp of the saints the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Again, not much of a battle. It's not, not even a chance. And the devil who deceived them, praise, his, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and the brimstone. Where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever. How assuring and comforting it is to know that Satan, who is currently wreaking havoc in our culture throughout our sin-filled world, how comforting it is to know that he will be one day categorically defeated and cast irrevocably into the lake of fire. Jesus will reign over Satan. I can't, I've walked through the text. I promised you that I would walk through every verse, and so we're all the way through verse 10, but there's just a couple, about, about, Four or five things I want to give you very quickly, just to give you a synopsis, a summary briefly of significant facts about Christ's millennial reign that you just have to know. Number one, Christ will reign from Jerusalem. I think it's very important for us to know that because a lot of people don't understand why it is important for any country to have good relationships with Israel. I'll tell you why God loves Israel, God loves especially Jerusalem. If you go back to Psalm 2, which is all about the millennial reign, in verse 6 it says, but as for me, that's God the Father, I've installed my King, that's God the Son, Jesus, upon Zion, my holy mountain. That's Jerusalem. Isaiah 2 is about the millennial reign. Verses 2 and 3 say, now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the mountains will stream to it. Je Jerusalem is literally going to be raised up, not just figuratively, but it's going to be raised up. It's going to be the capital of the world during the millennial reign. And listen, it says, many people will come and say, Come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord. We used to sing this song. Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of our God, and He will teach us His ways. We will walk in His paths. For unto Zion shall go forth the Lord, at the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, I did it in the King James, but you saw the, the words there. Everybody's going to come to hear Jesus teach in Jerusalem. Zechariah 14.10 says, all the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site. I want to say this to you. I'll move on. God loves Jerusalem. God loves Israel. Don't mess with Israel. Jesus was born in Israel. He grew up in Israel. He died in Israel. He was buried in Israel. He rose from the dead in Israel. He appeared to his disciples for 40 days in Israel. He ascended to heaven from Israel. One day he's coming back to Israel with all of his saints, and then he's going to rule and reign in Israel from Jerusalem for a thousand years. It's always good to be at peace with Israel. Jesus will reign from Jerusalem. Also, Jesus will reign theocratically not going to be a democracy. It's not going to be a republic. It's going to be a theocracy when Jesus reigns. We get that one text. I can give you a lot, but I'll give you one. My favorite, Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, was coming. He went up to, came up to the Ancient of Days. That's God the Father. 
and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Jesus' kingdom is forever. He's going to rule theocratically. Not going to be able to vote. Now, that's really bad. We live in, technically, we live in a republic. That's why in the Pledge of Allegiance, we say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. What is a republic by definition? Here it is. It's a state in which supreme power is held by the people and their elected representatives and which has an elected or nominated president rather than a monarch or a king. We don't live in a kingdom. We don't live in an earthly kingdom. We live in a republic. But in Christ's millennial reign, there won't be any public. The citizens won't run anything. Jesus will run everything. And praise God, when we get to that, there won't be any more presidential elections. Can I have an amen in the house of God? Amen. Praise the Lord. Just King Jesus will all be under his authority. It will be a theocracy. Jesus will reign wherever the sun doth, his success, doth its successive journeys run. He's going to reign also absolutely. He's going to reign with a rod of iron. Psalm 2, verses 9 through 12, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. And he goes on to talk about that in the millennial reign in Psalm 2. There will be no human judges, no lawyers, no courtroom. No juries. You're just going to stand before Jesus. You mess up. You cross the line in the millennial reign. You'll receive immediate and final fair but severe judgment. Because Jesus will be King of kings and Lord of lords. He will reign absolutely. In his millennial reign also, Jesus will reign righteously. When is there going to be justice? When is there going to be social justice? When is there going to be righteousness? Not until Jesus comes back. This world is irreparably broken. It's not that we don't seek that, but we, we, I'm telling you, this is a sinking ship. And it is not going to be perfect. There will not be a social utopia in this world. Every man-made government will fall short of God's government every time. I don't care what kind of government it is. But when Jesus comes, then finally there's going to be righteousness and justice. Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 is all about the millennial reign. Then a shoot, that is a little sprig, this is Jesus, will spring up from the stem of Jesse. Who is that? The father of David. Jesus came from the house of David. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. That's talking about Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Remember when the Spirit of God came upon Jesus? That's how Mary became pregnant with Jesus through the Spirit of the Lord. And then the Spirit of the Lord came and anointed him for ministry at his baptism. Here it is, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, the Spirit of counsel, strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear or the reverence of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor will he make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. That's just a sad reality that in our day, sometimes modern-day courts dole out unjust verdicts. That's not going to change until Jesus comes back. I'm not advocating it. I'm just telling, I'm just stating a fact. Human judges make mistakes. Human juries make mistakes. We live in a fallen world. Justice does not always prevail. But during Christ's millennial reign, all judicial decisions will be perfectly righteous and fair. That's because Jesus will do the judging. Jesus will be the supreme court of the universe. And he will judge and reign righteously. Fifthly, in the millennial reign, Jesus will reign peacefully. 
This is the part you've been waiting for that you've heard about so many times. The rest of Isaiah 11, starting in verse 6, says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Can you imagine? Say, now, sweetheart, you need to go out and play. Go play. Go play with the leopard today. Go, go play with the wolf. Come on. Get out of here. Go play with the lion. And also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. Can you imagine? Where's the baby? Oh, he's outside with the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the wrath for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Could we just read the last part of verse 9? Read that off the screen, starting with for the earth. This is one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. Read it with me. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Won't that be wonderful? Isaiah 2, 4 says, and he will judge between the nations he will render decisions for many peoples. That is, Jesus will do this. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again, everybody say never again. Never again will they learn or study about war. No more war. No more guns. No more missiles. No more swords. No more knives. No more bombs. Now, Vince Gill saying, let there be peace on earth. That's when it's going to be. Jesus will reign peacefully. And then the last thing, and this will be very quick, Jesus will reign purposefully. I mean, while you're writing that down, just let me ask you, why have a millennial reign? I mean, why do it? I mean, if Jesus is coming back, let's just be like the uh, amillennialists that say, okay, that's it. When he comes back, new heaven, new earth, New Jerusalem, come down to me today. No reprieve, no interlude, no intermission of a thousand years. Why have the 1,000 year injection there of the millennial reign? Why? Four reasons. Number one, it's going to be a restoration of the Garden of Eden. God is going to go back and say, okay, now we're going to do it like I wanted to do it the first time. I'm going to restore the Garden of Eden. Number two, a reversal of the great tribulation. I heard some theologians said, the seven years of the great tribulation, it's gonna take a thousand years to clean it up. <laughs> gonna be a lot of mess to clean up. And then it's gonna be a reflection of heaven to come. It's gonna be a beautiful reflection of what heaven is gonna be like. But I believe the greatest part of it all, the greatest reason for the 1,000 year reign is this, it is a reward for following Christ. I wanna ask you a question. Are you following Christ? You say, well, I'm here. Look at me. I get it. I understand you're at church. That's great. But I've been preaching a long time, and I can tell you, God doesn't assemble this many people when it, and, and everybody is saved. There are some people in this room, and I don't know who you are. You don't know the Lord. You've never been born again. You've never repented of your sins, and you really don't care, maybe. I want to ask you to start caring. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm telling you this world is winding down to an end. And even if the Lord doesn't come back in our lifetime, you could die today. It is appointed unto men, all men wants to die. You could die. I did the funeral right here for one of our best members. He was 40 years old with three young children. I just did that about a month ago. Nobody has promised another day. Nobody's promised another hour. Do you know the Lord? I mean, not just do you know about Him, do you love Him? Is He your life? Have you ever repented of your sins and asked Christ to take over your life? That's what I'm talking about. Has that ever happened to you? If not, man, what are you waiting on? Why would you play Russian roulette with your soul? Why would you gamble with your soul. Your soul is going to live forever. You're absent from the body, but you're present with the Lord with your soul. Man. There's nothing more valuable than your soul. 
Nothing. Nothing. So I'm going to ask you, this is the way I do it. Some people don't like preachers leading people in prayer, but I've never heard those people complain about a preacher leading a husband and a wife about to be in their wedding vows. That's okay, but it's not okay to lead somebody in a prayer to get saved. Look at me. I know that the words, even those vows, if you don't mean them, they don't mean anything. But when you say them and you mean them, that means something, all right? And when you say the words that I'm going to share for you to say, if you'll mean it, yes, it will mean something, and you'll get saved. Because you won't just be saying it, you'll be doing it, all right? You'll repent, you'll believe, and you'll receive. So if you'd like to do that in the balcony, whether you can see me or not, doesn't matter, as long as you can hear. Way back in the back, way up front, whatever. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I'm asking you, if you don't know the Lord, now's the time of salvation. Pray and receive Him right now. Let's just bow our heads just for a moment. Pray something like this, dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I believe you are the only Savior. I want you to save me right now. I turn and I repent of all my sins. I'm sorry that I have broken your laws. I cannot promise you that I'll never sin again, but I can promise you that I don't want to. And I'm asking you to help me lead a Christ-like life. I repent of my sin. And I believe, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you paid my sin debt when you did. I believe they buried you, but I believe you rose from the dead and I believe you're alive. I repent and I believe. And now, Lord, I receive you. I call upon your name. And as best I know how, I surrender my life to you. Save me right now, Lord Jesus. Wash me, cleanse me, Fill me, change me, take control. I give you my life. And by faith, I thank you that I am born again right now. Not by feeling, but by faith in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.